Don Strazinski. Dr. Don, welcome to the podcast again, Patrick Miner's podcast. In our last conversation, we talked about the value of balance. And I'd like you to start as we talk about food as medicine. Can you start the conversation then with balance? Sure. And again, thank you for having me. Really, this is a passion for me to talk about things in that concept of integrative medicine, using different tools in order to achieve good health. And direct question about, well, how does food as medicine fit in with that the concept of balance? Balance is really a very central concept and quite consistent with and, and a key principle in balance that we talk about in integrative medicine. It's seen generally in concepts that most people are familiar with, uh, such as the mind-body-spirit idea referenced in holistic principles. The various paradigms that we actually talked about last time, like the five elements contain balance, that's a Chinese formulation, contains balance as an essential factor and quite important in notions of balanced diet, which hopefully we'll get into. This is the big picture of balance. If we back up to some of the philosophers, including uh, Confucius, Aristotle, and the like, I think you can really see the importance of balance and how it's a common thread throughout philosophies. Confucius talked about his doctrine of the mean. The mean is the average. It's the balance point. And he generalized it to virtually all aspects of life, including dietary practices. One of his famous quotes is, let food be thy medicine and medicine be thy food. Aristotle is attributed to concept, the golden mean, which is really the same thing, aspect of balance. He also extended balance into very general aspects of life in explaining that it was important to avoid extremes every polarity there is a mean or point in moderation and specifically in food if the extremes are gluttony and deprivation then the golden mean the balance point is a balanced diet so you can see it in these philosophers just one more hippocrates he was father of modern medicine And in the original version of the Hippocratic Oath, the oath that all medical people take, and in that original statement, the original translation, he stated that I will apply dietetic and lifestyle measures to the sick to the best of my judgment and ability, and I will protect them from harm and injustice. He was talking about very general principles of food as medicine in his formulation, even in the in the Hippocratic Oath, medicine has been modernized, you know, largely because of his beginnings. He was talking about things that were available then, basically food as medicine, your dietary practices. Some of the original ideas emerging from these philosophers were holistic practices of health and healing, including diet. It really goes back to that. You mentioned that Eastern modalities or Eastern philosophies seem to be becoming more popular as applied to health. I wonder why that's the case. It's because it works, and, and it does follow that general scheme. And if I may be a little more specific with regard to different classifications in like Chinese and East Indian medicines, again, that concept of proper balance in diet is seen in these formulations. And it makes sense within their paradigms of elements. And hearkening back to 
what we talked about in the first podcast. In Chinese medicine, for example, the healthy aspects of food are determined by considering both the nature and the flavor of food. And this is in the context of very well-established relationships that are determined in five elements, which we explored. And the same thing is seen in Ayurvedic medicine, where they also have five elements translating into different, what they call doshas or energies, which so dictate that a balance is really necessary in order to achieve the optimal diet, which in turn leads to health and wellness. The nature of food in Chinese system classify food as hot and cold or neutral with regard to what characteristics they have, and also tastes, which they discuss in terms of five flavors. And these are well-established, and these are part of what we even discuss in more modern physiology as far as how we taste food and what their flavors are. They specifically, like, for example, classify the five elements, again, just to, to state, are fire, earth, metal, water, and wood. And each of those elements is associated with a flavor. And so fire is bitter, earth is sweet, metal is pungent or spicy, water is salty, and wood is is sour. And that being said, it's too detailed to go into a lot of specifics regarding that. But in essence, the, the proper balance of these tastes and elements, which we see in the foods that we eat, actually move us toward a proper balance. And so that, again, the, the formulations that are there, just to give a, a real quick example of, of the right and wrong thing to do, and this will tie in with, with other aspects of good dietary practices that we'll touch on, in addition to just the food choice itself. But think of what we do when, when we celebrate the 4th of July. This is one of my favorite examples. We do all the wrong things with regard to what we should be thinking about as far as dietary choices. You have a a very hot environment with regard to the season of the year, which can impact on, should impact on our dietary practices. And we celebrate by eating very hot food, which is prepared in a hot way like barbecue grill, like bratwurst or whatever. And we feed it to people that are kind of sweating in a hot environment. So you're doing everything that you can to engender heat, which you don't need in that particular context. So it's a it's an, basically an unhealthy thing to do in many ways. Conversely, the good thing to do, for example, th- on Thanksgiving, and you think about, well, what do we do on Thanksgiving? We eat warming foods in a warm way because we're and in a season where we're preparing for colder and colder temperatures. So we're actually nurturing the body and warming the body in all the right ways. So you can see those particular food choices, and there are particular foods in general that are more warming and preparing us in the season of the year and the climate and such to a very healthy balance in what we do as far as food choices go. Well, there's a solution. Let me just interject this. On that July 4th event where everything is being done backwards, is it possible that somebody like me can quickly grab a couple beers and solve the problem? Well, alcohol in general is hot. But the good thing about beer is that there are some cooling properties in beer. 
again in the in the Chinese system. But again, there that's a matter of degree. But there is a cool aspect here. That interesting question. It's a little technical, but again, I would caution that in general, alcohol would not be the best choice. But a judicious beer, it would be okay in that context. And the choice, the choices of food. There's there's different aspects of food that people have researched in the modern day have researched and we've been established with regard to what we should and shouldn't eat and there there's things that that can actually cause a person to be more healthy with regard to even cancer preventable health and the like and then versus things that we shouldn't be doing that would be engendering weight gain and uh, you know scourges of modern life like diabetes which is actually epidemic. Let's talk about these diets for a minute and you know what's out there as far as what people consider to be a healthy diet, why they're not the right thing. And you hear a lot about things like Mediterranean diet, paleo diet, keto diet, Atkins diet, Stillman's water diet, even uh, ones that have been found to be useful across cultures as seen in, in the Blue Zones diet. And we talked about the Blue Zones last time as far as areas in the world where people live to be over 100 and what they eat and what their lifestyles are. And they, they actually published their superfoods as what, what is seen across different cultures. And so the good thing about these most of these diets is that they do work at least as far as what they do as far as weight loss for some period of time but they're not sustainable. And most of them really emphasize carbs and fats as the big targets as far as what what you can do to achieve weight loss in an efficient, fast way. But they're not good because they're not sustainable. And why aren't they good is because over time, you were unbalanced to begin with. So the carb restriction or the fat restriction pushes you in a more balanced direction. But if you continue on those same restrictions, it pushes you over to the other side, and then you fall off the balance end because you you can't sustain a healthy regimen as far as carbs and fats, because there's good carbs, and there's a good balance, and there's a good balance of fats. So I perfect diet, which is basically somewhere between Mediterranean and Blue Zones. With regard to the best balance. And, and this is borne out in basically a lot of epidemiologic studies and things like the Blue Zones, what people ate and what people eat now in various regions like the Mediterranean. Mediterranean diet basically has certain elements which balanced in a healthy diet. And this would this would include plant-based foods, and that would be fruits and healthy fruits and vegetables. It would also involve whole grains, legumes, beans, and fats are included. So, and it, but certain types of fats, unsaturated fats, olive oil is a big one. Omega three fatty acids are a big one, and these all the concept of balance rings true because you're eating um, various food groups that are doing different things chemically, and they they are borne out actually in the other kind of popular diets like the Atkins diet or the keto diet, which basically restrict carbs to try to push a person into a balanced state. 
The problem is, is that they push, if you continue on after you achieve a good degree of balance, then it pushes you in the wrong direction. Then you cut out too many of the carbs, and then you're pushing yourself over the edge on the other side. And then you don't have the whole grains that are really be quite useful in the Mediterranean diet, which is one of my favorites because it it seems to include those balanced foods. Again, the Atkins diet, keto diet, um, Stillman's water diet uh, do all of them kind of restrict carbs pretty severely at the beginning. And then some return you back to a maintenance a little bit. But again, I don't think enough to achieve that per- perfect balance. So I would argue that those elements of the diet, which I just mentioned, were really quite important. The plant-based foods, fruits and vegetables, whole grains, legumes like beans, and then animal protein in the form primarily of fish. And why fish? Because deep water fish contain those omega-3 fatty acids that are very healthy and olive oil, things like that, as opposed to too much of the the wrong type of fats like saturated fats and and a lot of the the red meats and and such. So you you just look at the food pyramids that were established and and especially the, the more modern ones and they have those elements in them and relative proportion of what you should be eating too. And that's, I think, that's another point that should be made. You can you can get away with certain amounts of food that really aren't the optimal, but if they're eaten in small quantities, they're not going to be uh, detrimental to health either. Only two absolute no-nos, and one of them is not even as absolute. The absolute, absolute no-no is chemicals. And so things that I think most food scientists would absolutely agree on is that additives, preservatives, flavor enhancers, that sort of thing that are chemicals put in prepared foods are really not healthy. Okay. And it's hard to avoid because it's in so many things. If you, you know, if you go and buy foods in a grocery store, if you're not buying fresh foods there, it's in almost everything to some degree. So, and that's again, should be a relative avoidance of chemicals and foods. And the other thing over time that we've done with our foods is refined sugar. So refined sugars should be in very minimal amounts. And even in stating that carbs are a form of sugar, um, carbs are very healthy and whole grains are very healthy, but they're not refined. They're the on the on the unrefined side of a sugar. So the more you go from whole grains to refined sugar, you're, you're heading in the wrong direction as far as what the healthy end of a sweet taste is. Again, brings us to tastes that are represented in Eastern formulations of healthy diets. And they, they're looking at a balance of all of those flavors that I, that I talked about before when you talk about bitter, sour, sweet, salty, and the ideal balance in an Eastern diet would be a formulation that includes per balance of those particular foods and those particular natures like hot and cold. 
Again, that concept of balance really rings true throughout all of these formulations. And they're, they're, they're all, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to diss any particular diet or diet, you know, practice that people do. But to me, it's the sustaining principles over a, a period of time that makes the difference. And that's where you don't want to be so extreme in a prohibition in a diet that, again, especially when it's sustained, is going to put you, you know, push you in the wrong direction as far as balance goes. The idea of being manipulated by the commercial interests, for example, the grocery store generally have four or five models for moving traffic through the store. So we're basically rats in a maze. We come in and we're going to be in one of four or five models. And the people that manage the store generally can predict which direction we're going to turn. Right. And and I, a lot of it, and that's a commercial interest, and it's a, an interest in what I think the, the industry recognizes as people's habits, their preferences. And so, yeah, that's that's true. And it, it's, it seems like it's... And I think what you're alluding to is it's harder to negotiate your your path through the fresh foods aisle, which are in the periphery and the like, and, and really not in the direct target of where you're expected to go as far as commercial interest goes. And the habit thing is it's it's an it's an important aspect of this whole thing. And if I may just kind of expand this a little bit. And I think it's another point that I I really would like to make as far as even the food choice isn't the full answer as far as what a healthy eating practice is. And so it's not just the type of food, but it's also the the eating practice or how you eat and when you eat. That's, That's important. And I hinted at it when I talked about a person's dietary needs their food needs as far as season of the year. There's different needs that a person has during different seasons. And again, it's it's kind of intertwined with some of these concepts, uh, again, about the natures of foods that we talked about with regard to the Chinese aspect of hot and cold foods. It's generally thought that locally sourced foods are important and that makes sense, too, from a, a geographic and climate standpoint as far as w- what is healthy and, and uh, emphasizing fresh foods and foods without additives and the like. When you talk about local sourcing, there's issues with, with regard to how we eat, timing of meals, what time of day you eat even, the method, how you consume food. We stand up sometimes when we're eating a fast lunch on a just on the go posture and eating too fast, not really allowing digestion. So that's another part of it. Social context. And again, I, I keep going back to Blue Zones is one of my favorite sources of what a holistic lifestyle should be because the Blue Zones talk about even the, the social context in which you eat, sitting down with, with family or sitting down with friends, having a relaxing meal is really part of, of the, the way people eat in these regions of the world where people seem to be healthier and even happier as far as their life goes Don, in the first conversation we had, you actually mentioned the Blue Zones, and it triggered a response from me, whereas I did some research, and the listeners can find 
three episodes on the Blue Zones. One is centered on First City, Albert Lee, Minnesota, and another covers a larger area, Naples, Florida. The themes and the principles of the Blue Zone are quite fascinating, and they're like exactly what you're saying. Yeah, and I, I would much encourage people to get more information from those because it's, it really is uh, powerful. And, you know, even things like the, the social context I had when I was researching, again, philosophers and, and how they talked about food and eating, Epicurus, not, another one of these Greek philosophers, talked about the importance of a social aspect to eating. And it's, I think they said something like, it's first seek out who you eat with and then what you'll eat. So again, they're referencing the importance of these emotional, these psychological, these societal aspects to health, which are powerful. But I would reinforce that the Blue Zones concept is very powerful. Don, let's wrap up the issues of food and diet. But I do have one question regarding supplements. Okay, well, in in general, supplements that are really contained in foods, sometimes not in very high quantities, and depending on a person's diet a person and a person's genetics, a person may have a tendency not to have enough of a particular element. And so there's, there's a good and bad side of supplements. The good side is that I would state that multivitamin type supplement is really a good idea. And there's, again, certain parts of a person's diet that might be difficult to provide enough of a particular vitamin to, to be optimal as far as health goes. And there's also certain medical conditions and degenerative conditions, including you know, neurologic conditions where a, a, like a B-complex vitamin would be useful in, in helping a person again, achieve a better uh, balance as far as their proper amount of that of that um, vitamin in the body, uh, which might actually be useful in prevention of, of disease or degenerate, especially degenerative diseases. Okay, that being said, uh, I think in a lot of cases, people think that more is better. And there are certain, there are certain supplements and, and even vitamins that a person takes that uh, could cause to toxicity. And taken in too large of a quantity, it actually is toxic to the body. And there's different vitamins and minerals that accumulate in the body, usually in fat stores. And if over time there's a cumulative effect and there's gonna be a toxic effect from those. And um, so I would caution against Certainly, the way a lot of people do things as far as more is better with with regard to supplements and knowing what particular supplements a person needs, I think you could you could go into any health food store and there's aisles and aisles of vitamins and supplements, but you have to know what is necessary for you and how much if any, and how much. Uh, a per, uh, you should be taking to avoid being pushing yourself over the balance again, and that's just like the the same analogy I made with 
carbs. If you restrict all your carbs and then you get back to a good balance and you keep restricting your carbs, you're going to push yourself over the balance. And the same thing applies to to too many or too little vitamins or supplements. In our first conversation, we introduced the idea of balance. We talked about the five elements. Those theme continued in this discussion. And I hope we can pick up another theme. Sure. Yeah, and that's that whole idea of integrative medicine, balanced number of, of practices or modalities that a person employs in order to try to be as healthy as possible also strongly spills into more contemplative and this the and might even talk about spiritual or emotional end of life and i think the most common practice that people know about to some degree is meditation and i really would like to delve into the the practice of meditation because it does really also really speak to equanimity which is a calmness of mind and emotion and i don't think people have different ideas about about meditation and i think people actually recognize the power of it but i think if it could be um, more fully understood uh, it's it becomes more and more powerful so i yeah i'd be happy to uh, go into that in more detail and the the practice you know uses techniques to train a person's attention and awareness you hear about terms like mindfulness is a very common notion of meditation being in the present is another very common phrase that's that's used to describe it but i think again people might say yes that's that's an important thing and i'll try to do that but i think even the method of achieving a good meditation practice really puts it in a, a totally different world as far as how powerful it can be and it's a, a very important and powerful technique if you you want to put it together with other practices that we already talked about like a good balance of food etc. Dr. Don Starzinski, neurologist, St. Paul, Minnesota. I so much appreciate your willingness to join the podcast. 